Hello and welcome to the Total Entertainment Podcast with me, Paul Collis. And today we're going to take a look at Jack Savarotti's show at the Motor Point Arena in Cardiff. Well, I don't know anything about Jack Savarotti, so in a bit we will take a look at his uh, biog and a uh, bit of his background and history and whatnot. But for now, we're going to take a look at what's going on in the arena. So, we have four tour buses, but one truck. So it's a little show. It's a very, very, very small show. And you've got, quite literally, three lighting bars. You've got Funhouse 1, LX1 and LX2. And that's it. Currently, the stage is still under construction, so you've got... So you've got LX2 and 3 up in the air. You have some side lights which are some some LED uh, buttons on booms of varying heights going in position downstage left, downstage right, centre stage left, centre stage right and upstage left and upstage right. And as you go further back on the stage the uh, booms get slightly taller. So not only are there LED buttons on the booms but you've got a moving head on there. How do you stop gravity and centrifugal force uh, from, from toppling them over? Well, you're going to do it old school and get a couple of stage weights on the uh, bases. Boom. Done. <laughs> Classic. Classic way. So each stage weight is uh, 12.5 kilos. So two stage weights and you've got more than the weight of the lights. And also you've got the weight of the uh, baton lights to help anchor down the moving lights on top of the boom. Nice. Nice, easy sound. In mid-stage you've got a couple of risers and these risers are obviously band risers but that's all I can tell you at the moment because it's just the risers that are in position. And that's it. So far you've got the picker in front of the stage and the motor winches are just getting cut up ready for the front of the house lighting bar. So Nowhere near ready, and with with a one truck show, you're going to have less crew. Most of the crew are made up of local crew, so it's quite literally the people on the tour are doing the pointing and telling, and uh, doing the plug ups, and that's it. Sound wise, you've got line arrays. You've got a line array one wide and twelve deep, and you've also got a smaller line array at the back pointing 45 degrees out for the surround sound effect and there's only four speakers on that on the uh, surround sound line arrays so far there's no bass plumbed in yet but i'm sure that it will be added as soon as the picker is out of the way and the front house lx bar is up in the air we'll uh, continue the progress later on but after the break we will uh, take a look at the background of jack savarotti we'll be back after this So not only does Master X Media have a series of podcasts, but we also have a series of books. The first book is actually two books, it's volume one and volume two, of a tribute to working at sea. The best fiction is based on truth. This is a compilation of short stories, rants and poems loosely based on the author's experience at working on a cruise ship. Some of these stories are based on actual events but highly exaggerated, whilst other stories are pure fiction. The title of the book A Tribute To is fitting with the tone of the book because, like a tribute act, 
It is a blatant, altered reality where you can enjoy it knowing it's not quite the truth. There are things of alcoholism which used to be highly prevalent within workers in the cruise industry, as well as stories with a sexual nature. So sit down, relax and enjoy the ride of A Tribute to Working at Sea Volumes 1 and 2. All of these books are available on Amazon and are available in paperback and on Kindle. And the links for all of these books are in the description below. And we're back. So, Giovanni Edgar Charles Galeotto Savarotti, born 10th of October 1983. Oh my God, he is my age. Is known professionally as Jack Savarotti. He's an English acoustic singer, songwriter and musician. He has released seven studio albums to date. Between the Minds, Harder Than Easy, Before the Storm, Written in Scars, Sleep No More, Singing to Strangers and Europeana. Singing to Strangers became his first number one album to chart in UK Albums Chart. Born in Westminster to an Italian father and half-German, half-Polish mother, Savarotti grew up in London before moving to Lugano, a Swiss city near the Italian border. Moving around Europe as a child, he ended up at the American school in Switzerland, where he picked up an accent he describes as transatlantic mutt. As a singer, he was interested only in poetry. I was writing all the time. Uh, it was the thing to do. Sit under the tree with a notebook, go somewhere else in your head. I was in the clouds. When his mother gave him a guitar and suggested he try putting some of his words to music, he was surprised how much more people listen to you when you're singing than if you read a poem. After that, I couldn't stop. It was constant writing every day. It became almost a form of conversation, the way I, intend it, the way I interact with the world. It's a good quote there. He began playing guitar at 16. Savarotti did two duets with Shelley Paul called Any Day Now and Hope, both of which appear on Paul's album Hard Time for the Dreamer, which was released in September 2005. Jack was signed to D'Angelo's Productions when he was 18 years of age and subsequently signed to D'Angelo's Records, a label set up by Anne Barrett and Eric Raman. Rick Barraclough joined DeAngelis in 2005 and produced the first two albums Between the Minds and Harder Than Easy. The label contracted Nick Fleming's radio promotions company who introduced Savarotti to Radio 2 where his album Between Two Minds became the album of the week. DeAngelis then flew Savarotti out to the US where Sue Crashaw, who was working with DeAngelis Publishing, set up a showcase at Fox Film Studios where he performed and quickly became a dining for many film and television supervisors. During this time, the label suggested to the MD of Café Nero, Paul Ettinger, who had previously seen Jack perform at Tony Moore's venue in Hammersmith, that Jack do a tour of the cafes, becoming the first label to come up with this marketing idea. Graham Stokes, who was consulting for DeAngelis, suggested that DeAngelis should approach the new Grammy Award winner Corny Bailey Ray's management to have Savarotti as a support act for Connie's upcoming European tour. Further to that tour, Jack also supported Gavin DeGraw on a European tour. Savarotti parted ways with DeAngelis in 2010. Savarotti's grandparents hid in the mountains near Genoa. Oh, I've been to Genoa, beautiful city. Um, 
in Italy during World War II. His father was recognised by the city as being head of the partisan movement that freed Genoa and that area of Italy from fascism. Subsequently, a street in Genoa has been named in his memory. He could speak Italian fluently. Savrotti is married to British actress Gemma Powell and they live in Oxfordshire with their three children. Savrotti also has a house on Formentera in the Balearic Islands. He is a fan of the Italian football club Genoa Cricket and Football Club, which appears in the video of the single Home. And as I said, his uh, studio albums are Between the Minds in 2007, Harder Than Easy in 2009, Before the Storm in 2012, Written in Scars 2015, Sleep No More in 2016, Singing to Strangers in 2019, and Europeana in 2021. And he's appeared on soundtracks for The Sisterhood of Travelling Pants 2 in 2008 with the song No One's Aware. Then in 2009 he did Postgrad and the song was One Day. And in 2013 his, he was in uh, the film Universitari and the song was Challenges. And he's done a bit of TV work as well. So in 2008... His music was used in One Tree Hill, and those songs were No One's Aware, Between the Minds and Dreamers. He was then used in The Cleaner for the song Chemical Courage, and EastEnders. He was used in EastEnders with the song Gypsy Love. In 2009, his music returned to One Tree Hill with Wonder. He was on Great Anatomy with songs from different times, and back again on One Tree Hill later on in 2009 with the song Mother. In 2010 and 2011, his music was used in Grey's Anatomy, so the song Breaking News, Wonder, Harder Than Easy, and in the TV series Greek with the song Ring of Fire. 2012, his music was in The Vampire Diaries with the song Hate and Love. Back to One Tree Hill, who must be fans of his uh, work, the song Changes, and he also had a song in Sons of Anarchy with the song Soldier's Eyes. In 2016, his song Fight Till the End was used in the TV show Teen Wolf, and Deep Waters was used in an episode of The Royals in 2017. Not only has his music appeared in TV shows and film, but it appeared on a video game, and that was... Days Gone in 2009 with the song Soldier's Eyes. So that's a nice little roundup of his past and history. So let's take a look at his support act and we'll be back after this. If you're a singer, a musician, a cabaret artist, dancer, actor, and you want to promote your show or promote yourself and you want to have a conversation, you could do this by coming on our show. The email address to contact me is musterxmedia1983 at gmail.com and come on our show. And we're back. So Jack Savetti has his uh, support act, which is Candy Y Paolo. Okay, so I couldn't find that much on them. So let's take a look at what I have found. They are Basaro and Paolo... Carrizo and like many of the great love affairs the scenes of this unusual partnership were sown long before the couple went to work on Barrow Telvez. 
the achingly intense but minimalistic Argentine rock classic that went viral on YouTube amassing over 12 million views. San Juan, a city of 120,000 nestled in the Talium Valley with a stunning desert landscape has no major record labels but is home to a thriving independent music scene a giant family candle calls it preserving a kind of village life incredibly the pair first met when she was 15 a restlessly creative child who had told her mother at four that she fully intended to be famous paolo a multi-instrumentalist and arranger equally at home in classical and rock music his latest album with Paolo Carrizzo trio combines flamenco and jazz. He gave Candle some piano lessons and for several years Paolo's work as a keyboardist took him into the mainstream rock scene in Buenos Aires before he returned to San Juan to find his former pupil who is self-taught in opera and jazz rapidly mastering a unique combination of vocal and double bass. The couple argue about pretty much everything apart from the music, which allows them an almost telepathic communication of notes and space. So that's a nice little bit of extra um, info that we have on them. And let's see what the, what else I can find, which isn't much to be honest. So we have a handful of songs. Barrier Telvez. These are all made in 2021. So, well, these are all released in 2021. So... I'm assuming this will be from one album because I've only got the one album that I can gather, maybe. And right, so the second song is Shara Nohana, Limity Unto Armor, Summertime, Toyo, The Thrill Is Gone, Treaty, Deja Atras, Esperandoti, Feelers Navidad. I fall in love too easily. Sugar Mountain, Preganton de Dondesoy, and Blanco Estas. So this will be a nice little pleasant surprise to me, yeah, because I've never heard any of their songs before. I mean, the song "Summertime" is obviously a cover, and uh, I love that song anyways. So be interesting to hear a new cover of it. Anyways, we'll be back after this. 30 Years Since is a sci-fi story podcast which is full of dramatical moments and a bit of gratuitous violence. The first series was originally done in first person so the character is just telling a monologue and then the second series and onwards became more third person so it was more of an in-depth story and uh, you have all the characters actually interacting with each other. Great set of sci-fi stories. So, 30 years after an alien invasion, which uh, the humans lost, and the first story arc is now over. Though we've got plenty more story arcs left to tell from the land of 30 years since. So why not check it out? The links are in the description below. And we're back. So there's been some progress since uh, I last looked at the stage. And the last of the lighting bars are up. They're all rigged. And uh, they've even powered them up. 
So Funhouse 1 has been uh, put in the air at its proper height. Whereas on the stage you've got LX1 and 2 and 3 just at working heights at the moment. Although I'm sure they will be uh, put up to working height very soon. You do have the lights on LX1 powered up ready to go. They're all being tested and they've just fired up LX2's lights as well. So we're getting there, we're getting there. Interesting that on top of the uh, trusses they've got some LED rope lights which aren't exactly the best LEDs but they will do. It doesn't have to be a massive expense especially with the LED technology now and they've currently got them chasing to see if they're all working correctly and LX3 I can tell you there's only a couple of lights on there behind the uh, drape that they've put on there and they've rigged it at an angle so I don't know maybe um, maybe just how they're hanging at the moment is it going to when it's for, when it's at height is it still going to keep this 45 degree angle or is it going to be uh, put up uh, flat we will soon find out also you've now got the rest of the sound system plumbed in you've got six subs at the front of the stage and you also have six small front fields on the front of the stage pointing outwards directly out to the audience and that's it so far there's a few jobs left to do mainly for me to drape the stage and neaten up the uh, wings and from the crew of the show just a few bits from them to just tidy things up and the show is ready to go so it shouldn't take too much longer to get into a sound check we'll be back after this the name's Vert Percival Reginald Vert and I run the PR Vert detective agency the year is 2055 and the police have been defunded so if you need a police investigation the police will charge you a thousand big ones a day because of this the government introduced the PI Act where the private investigators can undercut the police so justice can become affordable these are my case files Percival Vert is no hero he is a low-life scumbag and the full embodiment of how not to be a man. He cheats his way into getting work, he objectifies women and is quite a disgusting human being, if you can even call him that. Gumshoe is intended to poke fun at everyone that takes life too seriously and directly towel whips the modern day Puritans in the balls because they have forgotten the fact that when something isn't funny in real life, it's probably hilarious in the land of fiction. Come and listen to Gumshoe every Wednesday. The links are in the description below. And we're back. So, it looks like everything is now done. They've just uh, done a sound check and all the lights have just been flashed through. Now it's very interesting how LX1, well, front of house, LX1 and 2 and 3 are all 45 degrees and the backdrop is uh, an extent and there's a little bit of uh, backdrop on LX3 the highest point is um, 7 foot low point is uh, 5 foot and then you've got a, another backdrop behind it 
so it looks like they're just going to be uplighting each section of the backdrop because the latest additions to the rig are some floor standing LED buttons one row in front of the risers one row in front of in front of LX3's drape and one in front of the backdrops drape so it's going to look interesting it's very odd that you do this and they've just gone for the extra they've just gone for the additional wave of uh, angles that it creates by having angled trusses it's an interesting look to go for and i'm looking forward to seeing this in practice and often that you get deliberately angled truss like this and if it's if it's programmed well then it's going to look really really good we'll be back after this a tribute to men that hate their jobs is a brutal but witty portrayal of working a job you hate. In this podcast there are themes explored in which happy workers simply wouldn't understand unless they listen to these cautionary tales from a man that lost his ideal job because of the global pandemic. Be warned that this podcast contains strong offensive language that some listeners may not want to hear. In addition, this podcast is definitely not recommended for younger audiences. The links for this is in the description below. And we're back. So, Candy Y Paolo. They came out into two pools of light. As they started their set, a third light came on to light their faces, although it was actually more of a backlight, which was which was positioned enough to hit their faces it was a artistic choice to just keep them isolated in their uh, place and that was down say downstage center downstage center right so there's me dividing up the stage a little bit more than I normally would anyways <laughs> so sound wise it was a great balance between the keyboard, the double bass, and when I say double bass, it was an electric double bass. So very good and expensive in instrument. Although it's better to be carrying around an electric double bass than a massive, massive double bass that is possibly a hundred odd years old and worth a lot more. So touring something like that, I'd go for the electric version because hey it's easier to repair and it's not a piece of history that's destroyed if you accidentally destroy it in transit anyways I digress so the balance between the keyboard the double bass and the vocals was absolutely spot-on you couldn't ask for better sound actually although there was a minor whistle of feedback in their second song the rest of the set was absolutely fine yet again it's a uh, small show that is uh, not suited to a larger arena like this even though we are a small arena anyways uh, they're used to having theatre shows so much smaller capacity and they're just getting used to it they're finding their feet the tour's not long started and this is the largest venue that they're playing in and it went down really well actually really went down really well but anyways uh, yeah again I digress and the third song, they played a Argentinian ver language version of Walk On By. Now, that song just gives me good memories because back in the day, and I say back in the day, when I was a kid, 
when we'd go on the family holidays in the in the beat up Ford Escort Mark II, <laughs> going towards the coast, the original version of Walk On By would be on the old man's driving cassette. He only ever had one cassette, no matter what car it was, he would always play the same tunes in there. A great 90 minute per side compilation of his favourite songs and Walk On By would always play. Anyways, I digress. Uh, it was a good version of it, actually. Uh, even though I can't speak the Argentinian shade of Spanish or Portuguese, I can't remember what it is, actually. Possibly Portuguese. Anyways, yet again, I digress. My uh, languages for the uh, former foes of Argentina is the least of my concerns, I'm sorry to say. Look, I don't want to offend anyone, but at the end of the day, I want to talk about the band and their music and not um, the politics of where their language comes from. Anyways, yet again I digress. Uh, it was great, I mean that, so that rendition was brilliant. It played very well on, on the keys and especially with the vocals being quite harrowing actually, but harrowing but in a beautiful way, if that makes sense. <laughs> So the double bass was played by the uh, vocalist and you had the keyboard player who was also doing uh, backing vocals and they were in the two pools of light so and this was throughout the show there was no change of the lighting and yet again the sound was great minus that little hiccup with the uh, slight ring of feedback it was quite flawless but Candy Y Paolo I mean it reminded me of my cruise ship days so on the ship you had different type levels of bands and the, one of these bands would always be a there'd always be a duo and they'd be playing either in the atrium on the pool deck during the day or even in the deck 18 after cocktail bar and it just remind and they just totally reminded me of the chilled beats that would be playing in those bars by the Giro after dinner, especially on a formal night. So they'd uh, do a set in the atrium, or they'd do the set in the cocktail bar on deck 18 aft, depending on what part of the cruise it was on. And you'll be just sat there, chilling out, having nice conversations with some beautiful music played by some awesome awesome musicians and that's the caliber of band that Candy Y Paolo are it was a shame because um, I felt that they were very wasted on some of the audience members who would give just polite applause at the end of each at the end of each song which was a shame because they deserve bigger applause and I think part of the problem is this isn't a venue for that kind of music in the main arena which is unfortunate because um, they deserved a better audience to be honest they played really really well and yes I'm not saying that they didn't get a good round of applause they did but with the amount of people in there it should have been louder but most of the people who came to tonight's show weren't there for that nice relaxed chill out kind of session they were there for Jack Savaretti and you can't blame them for that either. It's just a shame. I mean, they're obviously picked because Jack Savaretti liked their music. And to be honest, I really like their music as well. And, it, and I just wish I uh, got to see them in a better venue. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, the Motor Point Arena. But I just think that 
the Motor Point Arena was just not the venue for uh, for Candy Ray Paolo. I think definitely more of a theatre kind of show, or even in a music club where you'd have your dinner or have cocktails whilst a band were playing an amazing, amazing set. It's a shame, such a shame. We'll be back after this. So not only does Master X Media have a series of podcasts, but we also have a series of books. The first book is actually two books, it's volume one and volume two, of a tribute to working at sea. The best fiction is based on truth. This is a compilation of short stories, rants and poems loosely based on the author's experience at working on a cruise ship. Some of these stories are based on actual events but highly exaggerated, whilst other stories are pure fiction. The title of the book A Tribute To is fitting with the tone of the book because, like a tribute act, it is a blatant altered reality where you can enjoy it knowing it's not quite the truth. There are things of alcoholism which used to be highly prevalent within workers in the cruise industry, as well as stories with a sexual nature. So sit down, relax and enjoy the ride of A Tribute to Working at Sea Volumes 1 and 2. All of these books are available on Amazon and are available in paperback and on Kindle. And the links for all these books are in the description below. And we're back. Jack Savarotti. The show started off with uh, all the side lights on the booms doing a nice projection on, on the back drape. And the kind of projection they were doing was the old school rotating gobo and having the animation wheel go on top of that, which gave off a nice water effect, especially with the different shades of blue that they were putting on. Very, ne- very, very nice way of doing things. Such a classic thing to do. I mean, I used to do that water effect once, a, once in a blue moon uh, on a cabaret night when I worked on when I worked on the cruise ships. You know, it has a time and a place, and today was a time, and today was definitely the place for that effect. Very lovely effect that. And as soon as Jack Savoy appeared on the stage, he walked into his pool of light at the front of the stage, which was downstage centre and the lights in the backdrop faded down and the lights in the stage came up with the darker blue doing the same watery effect and that's where you had a light a slight problem with this effect because it worked on the screen because it was a brighter color and you weren't looking for the 3d effect of the light in that smoke effect because it was a nice projection whereas the uh, change of lighting it didn't have the effects that was intended because there just wasn't enough smoke on the stage. Personally, I think they should have started the smoke machines 10 minutes prior to the show and put it on absolute fog mode so they could actually fill up the stage. Because the fog was very thin and I think they probably only had the one smoke machine. I say smoke machine, the one hazer. What came out just went straight up into the aircon and it was very rare throughout the whole show that you saw the 3D shapes from the lights, from the gobos of the lights. The next thing that I noticed, that I didn't notice during the build of the show, 
was every section of the riser had actually had the same kind of LED ropes that the uh, that the trusses had, and they lit up in exactly the same way as the trusses, and it looked pretty effective when they were used. It really, really did. Although, gracefully, they didn't overuse that effect. What they did at one point was on the riser LEDs, they used uh, those LEDs to yet again make isolation spots and pools of light so you'd have a uh, instrument playing solo on the on one of the risers the, that riser lit up and then there'd be two or three lights with go with breakup gobos on that position there to isolate that particular instrument and jack savretti would be isolated in another pool of light on the stage and yeah again i do love isolated lighting effects because it just has different impacts you don't need a room full of lights for a show of this kind of caliber you just need imagination and and the willingness to do something different now with uh, Jack Savaretti it's the first time I heard his stuff so I wasn't know I didn't know what to expect and it was more acoustic and and folky kind of jazz kind of music as well which worked really really well with the pools of isolation and then the uh, stage would open up with a wash with lots of gobo breakups within that wash when uh, the uh, songs became more involved with the rest of the band and it, yeah again it worked really really well and as I keep saying on this show, sometimes less is more, and it was definitely that case on this show. One truck worth of equipment, uh, and that included your lighting, your sound, and no AV, and the bits of uh, band risers, and guitar world, and that's it. And oh yeah, also the control point. But still, yeah, you know, that that was it. That's all he needed because he wanted to. Um, it's not about making the maximum profit on there after not working for best part of two years. It's not about that, but it's more about the fans. They didn't want to see a massive lighting show or a massive load of of AV. So to keep the ticket prices down, he passed the savings on. So Jack Savetti passed some of the savings on by having the ticket prices a little bit lower than what they normally would be because he's not spending a fortune on a massive all singing all dancing lighting sound and av rig that he doesn't need and visually it looks great apart from the few points during the show where that i noticed that it was lacking a bit of face light and that's possibly down well no it was definitely down to the type of lights he was using on the front house bar at some point they just were not powerful enough to break through the lights that he had on the back um, with the gobos putting him into shadow they just weren't that powerful and yet again it's where the it's where they're in a in a larger venue than that what they normally would be they'd be in a smaller venue so then the bars would be a lot lower and closer to the stage which uh, they couldn't be on this in this particular in this particular arena, and there's a lot. There was a lot of what's called light decay. So 
by the time the light gets from the start from its source down to its target the uh, intensity is lost because the punch has gone from how it diffuses because it just didn't have enough power nice bit of theory for you there anyways <laughs> right so so getting onto the tilts of the um, of the lighting bars there was no need for the uh, lighting bars to be tilted for the moving lights because of the height of the bars it made no difference but that's not the reason why the bars were tilted the bars were tilted as an aesthetic for the LED ropes on top of them which had the shorter drape and that's all it was about it was about giving a nice visual presence with the uh, LED uh, the LED rope and that was it the lighting designer obviously knew that his lights hanging down from the trusses wouldn't be affected because of the height of the truss and the distance between the bars etc etc it's all the stuff that you take into account when you're doing your old school equation in your head grid height minus actor height equals distance of bars and that's the equation that they use that we used to use back in the day for generics <laughs> and that's basically where you position your bars by using that equation but not these days when you've got moving lights which are really uber powerful although in this case some of the moving lights were just not as powerful as the uh, LED sections of the rig which is a shame it is a shame but then again they weren't needed for the rest of the tour like that because what's the point overpowering the rig when uh, you're in a smaller venue I have to say though it was a bit of a push on this on this arena but it worked still it wasn't disappointing it's just the fact that one or two songs he was in shadow and that's about it the rest of the show was open and, and great and when it was in the isolation pools he had enough face light from the different set different lights pointing in that one pool in a nice tight pool and it worked really really well now the sound of the show was brilliant i have to say we was i was delighted to hear the 22 carat quality of sound i loved when you hear 22 carat sound it's brilliant especially in an arena like this the uh, sound system could have been pushed harder than what it was and it still would have sounded great but I reckon it wouldn't have worked that well in this on this particular show because it's more of an acoustic show so you don't need to just punch that sound it's not needed and the sound engineer knew this and he had such a lovely sound he had such a lovely sound and fair play he had a, a hint of feedback here and a little bit there but yet again He's getting used to going from smaller venues into a bigger venue where you've got the different hotspots because of the height of the stage and the size of the stage. It's just one of those things. But yet again, like other shows where they've had uh, feedback recently, as soon as he's detected it, bam, he's straight on it and gets it corrected and it didn't come back. Which yet again was great. It showed the skill of the sound engineer. The sound was lovely and balanced and 
so much clarity because he wasn't overdriving the speakers he wasn't merging everything together there was clarity between every instrument you could hear and pick out every instrument within that mix rather it would be in a jumbled merged mess of the noise and it worked really really well it really did now the band the quality of the band were amazing they played with so much soul and there was beauty within that music especially when the violin player was putting his whole heart and soul into the soldier's eyes song you could hear the raw emotion behind that behind the uh, violin player such a brilliant such a brilliant artist i love hearing violins playing so beautifully i love it and it's such a rare thing to hear a solo with a violin in this arena it really is but damn it's such an amazing sound and i bet you any money that was a very expensive and very old violin to get a beautiful sound like that another thing that i noticed though was the drum screens now i love how the drum screens were used because they're set up properly and they're used perfectly because the reason why you'd have a drum screen is so the other instruments, microphones or pickups wouldn't pick up the uh, drums and it gives such a nice sound when you're uh, mixing an acoustic set or semi-acoustic set shall we say. It works really well and it just cleans the sound up even more. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But there was a bit of a wobble on the uh, drum on the drum screens and it's not the fault of the drummer. At the end of the day, the riser is as wide as it is, and had it been a little bit wider, it wouldn't. The screens wouldn't have been so close to the drums, and uh, the kick drum wouldn't have um, wouldn't have shaken the screens. It did get a bit distracting here and there when some of the lights hit the perspex screens, but yeah, I. I would notice something like that, but I know damn well that most of the audience wouldn't. They wouldn't even care, because they wouldn't even be looking at the drama. They'd be looking at Jack Savetti. Oh, well. Now, what did people think of Jack Savetti? They loved him. They were here to see him, and after every song, they were cheering. They, some women were screaming, and at one point, whilst he was speaking, some... Bold, bold lady decided to give such such a real dirty builder's tire wolf whistle. It was funny, actually. I like that. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, the audience, they just couldn't. They just wanted more and more and more. And they lapped up every song that he did. And that was... And then... And that was mainly the, the uh, ladies in the audience. So most of the audience were, obviously... Uh, ladies and in most cases they'd bring their partners with them as well so i would like to think that with some of these uh guys who are just there because their wife bought the tickets they actually turned around and thought you know what that's actually a good show thank you for dragging me along away from the football or what, what's going on tv because it was actually a really good show <laughs> now this is the first time i heard jack Savetti and I can quite safely say that I'm going to go through uh, some of his albums and add some of his songs into my uh, personal playlist, my summer barbecue playlist uh, for when I have guests around and whatnot. That he has definitely made my personal list and 
he should be honoured. <laughs> I should I say that, but no, 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 no. It's no there's no need for any of that. Bottom line is, um, I can joke about it, but his uh, music was good. It wasn't lost to me whatsoever, because uh, I do love that kind of music. I love all kinds of genres, and um, it's very rarely that I come across a genre that I really can't stand. Although. I'll let you guys into a little secret. I'm not a particular fan of late 90s, early 2000s, uh, modern R&B. I'm just not a fan of it. <laughs> it that is the, pretty much the only genre that's lost to me. But hey, music, subjective. Some people wouldn't even entertain today's show. Although you'd get someone like me who would give a band a go and... If I don't like him by the third song that I play, then that's it. And I can safely say that Jack Savetti passed my three-song test. He did. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you liked it, please hit like, subscribe and share. And we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>